Once someone subscribes to your email list, the next couple of weeks are critical to determining if they will stay. Sending new email subscribers the same emails you're sending your existing subscribers is like bringing someone into an existing conversation at a party without any introductions. It's awkward at a dinner party and it leads to unsubscribes online. So how do you get new subscribers to get to know you better and to get them to want to stick around on your list? The answer is an onboarding sequence, also known as a drip campaign. So what is a drip sequence and how can you use one to help you grow your list and grow your connection with your readers? We'll find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. And we have a guest on the show today to help us with email drip marketing. He's an award-winning author and the publisher at Renown Publishing. He's also a marketing consultant who has helped hundreds of authors write books, build platforms, win contracts, and transform the world through the written word. Caleb Ricci, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much, Thomas. That was amazing. I am stoked. This will be great. So what is a drip sequence? You know, typical email newsletter is going to be, hey, I've got things that have happened. I want you to know about them. And a drip email sequence, I look at it as like a front door. It's a front door into who you are, what you're passionate about, what your mission is. But you're telling a story in a way that your readers can see themselves in your own story. It's a beautiful onboarding that you've thought through. It's like dinner guests at a party. You've thought about where they're going to park. You've thought about when they ring the doorbell, the dogs aren't going to come jump up on them. You've thought about making introductions so that it's not awkward. You've just thought about them. That is what a great email marketing sequence does is it feels incredibly personal, but it's automated because if you tried to do it all personally, it would kill you. And one key difference, if you've never set one up before, is that you don't send out the emails yourself. <laughs> so you're not like emailing somebody from your Outlook or from your Gmail. And you're also not sending the email the way you would normally send a newsletter out to your list. So a drip sequence is a timed series of emails that you've pre-written that drip out, like the dripping of water, based off of when the person subscribes. So let's say you have an email that comes out the day after they subscribe, and then the next email comes out two days after they subscribe, and then the next email comes out three or four days after that, right? You can set the sequence, and what happens is that maybe that person who subscribed today, they were the only person that subscribed today, and they're the only person that gets drip email number one tomorrow. It's completely separate from your normal newsletter that goes out on Thursdays or whatever. I should say there's different kinds of drip sequences. So the most common one is an onboarding. It's like a, hey, welcome to the party kind of drip sequence. But you can create other kinds of automations and other kinds of sequences related to various topics. But we should talk about the onboarding sequence because I feel like that's where everyone gets started it, because it's the most obvious. And so what should a good onboarding sequence do? What do I put in that first email? 
So I have a unique way of going about onboarding sequences, but they play to my strength. When I communicate, I want people to see my passion. So when I write an onboarding sequence, one, I am going to write the text version and it's going to be very story driven because I, my whole goal is I want to connect with you as a human. That is what I believe in more than tactics, more than strategy. I want to connect as a human. With each onboarding sequence that I write, I also have a bomb bomb video that I use, which bomb bomb's just a software. You can use different things for it, but essentially it is a, a GIF or GIF, however you want to pronounce it, in your email that they can click on and it's like you're waving at them. They see your face and they can get a quick one to two minute video of you either talking about the email, talking about the point of the email, what have you. But it is this extra layer of breaking through the internet, the screens that divide us and helping us connect to one another. I want you to know that I'm here for this relationship and we're going to do it the right way. I'm going to introduce myself and hopefully my content brings value to you. So let's talk about that introducing yourself because I feel like this is really important. Somebody may have signed up for your email newsletter because they want to get your short story, right? You have this really great looking cover, free short story on the website. So they've downloaded your short story. Perhaps they're reading the short story or they're going to read it soon, but they don't necessarily know who you are, <laughs> right? They're on your email list now, but they're not really ready for news necessarily. Maybe, and you can choose with the drip sequence that somebody doesn't get the weekly or monthly newsletter till they complete the sequence, or you can have them get it as well. It's up to you. But that introduction, it's like, hey, my name is Thomas, and this is what I do. And this is how I help people, or this is what I write about. And a good drip sequence actually leads to some unsubscribes. Because in that introduction, people will be like, oh, this is military science fiction. I'm wanting space opera. I don't want all that military stuff. And so then they unsubscribe. And you actually want that. You'd rather somebody unsubscribe if they're not going to ever buy your book. Because it's costly to have them on your email list. <laughs> it's better to have a 1,000 people on your email list who will all buy your book than to have 10,000 people on your email list only a thousand of which will buy your book <laughs> because those other 9,000 aren't opening the emails. They're not clicking links and they're actually going to make it less likely that the thousand who do care will even get the emails because the ISPs monitor the performance of an email to see if it looks like spam or not. And if everybody's opening your emails and responding to them and clicking the links, Outlook notices, Gmail notices, AOL notices, <laughs> and it will make sure that that email comes into inboxes more often if it's a high engagement. So you don't want poor fit subscribers watering down your list. And so this introduction is a kind and gentle way of, of saying, hey, here's who I am. Here's who I'm for. If you're that kind of person, we're going to have a great relationship and we're going to make beautiful music. And if you're not that kind of person, you can unsubscribe. You won't hurt my feelings. Absolutely. I love that an unsubscribe can be a gift because, yeah, you want to serve the people you were meant to serve and you don't want to bring them along in this relationship and just be like, ha, I'm actually not the person you thought I was. And so you can be creative with it, but I like the idea of just being direct and letting them know, hey, I'm inviting you on this journey. I'm so excited to serve you. But if you don't belong here, here's the door and it actually helps both of us. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of that first email, you one option is you can say, here's what I write and really talk about your genre talk about the kinds of stories that you like telling or the kinds of books that you like writing. 
And then one thing you can consider in the next email is a why I write type email where you share your story, right? It's like, I was in the woods as a kid and I imagined elves and fairies and all I wanted to do was tell stories with elves and fairies. And now I'm telling those stories and I'd love to share them with you or whatever, right? Every author's why is different and sharing your story of what got you into this. The more interesting and authentic you can make it, I think is key. Don't talk about your second grade teacher who's really encouraging because that's kind of generic. <laughs> Everybody had an encouraging second grade teacher or whatever. What would be more unique about that story is if your second grade teacher was really discouraging and it took you years to overcome it, then maybe include it in the story. <laughs> hey, I had that teacher. <laughs> she almost made me cry. Yeah. So I would be a little bit more specific than just like, I, I always loved writing and now I'm writing for you. If it feels like it could be somebody else's story, you're not specific enough about telling your own story. It's like specifically why, what's the why behind the why? It doesn't have to be very long, but if it's an interesting and well-told story, people will stick around and read it. They'll, they'll enjoy an email, especially if you don't give away the ending right at the beginning, right? Follow the storytelling rules, even if it's a true story. It was, I think, 2012 or 2014 when I was sitting in a coffee shop with this man named Thomas, and he was telling me that readers read for education, for entertainment, and escape. I still remember that, Thomas. Stuck with me to this day. And the favorite email sequence I've ever written is one where I spoke through the character of my villain in a thriller series. And so every email that the person received came from the villain in my story. And the villain would talk about me, which made it great because I could be self-deprecating, I could be funny, and then I could bring myself on stage whenever I wanted because the villain was controlling the show. And so don't be boring is essentially the rule here. Seek a relationship, have fun, don't be boring. That's right. So while we're sharing ideas of the like the what I write, why I write, that's kind of generic. Be specific as you implement it. But the weirder you can make these and the sequence can be as long as you want it to be. The longest I saw an author have a sequence with, I think, an entire year's worth of devotional readings, <laughs> daily emails is this massive sequence. That's probably too big, but that's the big side of this scale. So one or two emails is on the small side. 365 emails is on the long side. I'd say the third kind of go-to type email is a books you will love. And you're like, but I haven't written any books yet. What books do I recommend? Other books like the books you plan to write. <laughs> so no. If you're writing fantasies that are similar to Brandon Sanderson, share which Brandon Sanderson book they should read first, right? Because somebody is like, I keep hearing the name Brandon Sanderson. I got to read one of his books. You look him up on Amazon and you're like, he has a million books and they all have a million reviews. How do I know which one to start, right? Well, you, if you're a Sanderson fan, you have an opinion. You have a strong opinion about where somebody should start. <laughs> and so you, you can share that in an email and it's okay to promote other authors' books and you don't even have to get their permission, right? You don't have to set it up as an exchange and be like, hey, Caleb, I'll promote your books in my onboarding sequence if you promote them in mine. You can do that if you want, but what really matters is that these have to actually be books that your readers will love. This is your opportunity to demonstrate I have good taste and I can help you find a good read because if they see you as somebody who is a source of good reads, then when you recommend a book, maybe one of your own books in the future, they'll be much more likely to take you up on that recommendation since it won't be the first time. That's right. 
I love just the idea of authors helping authors. And if you help someone, it can even be a fun thing. Like you send out an email, you say, hey, this person's book is amazing. You'd be surprised what little acts of kindness like that will lead to uh, as relationships starts to form between you and other authors. And then you can start sharing each other's stuff more often, which becomes a huge part of your entire marketing plan. Let's brainstorm a few more types of emails that somebody could put in a onboarding sequence. One email that I have in my onboarding sequence that I really like is an email with questions for the reader. So for me, I'm asking, what is your biggest pet peeve with marketing? Some kind of question like that. And I've added another one that's like, hey, tell me about your book. And that one actually has the highest engagement because authors love talking about their books. And so I get to learn about my listeners and it helps me craft episodes that are more helpful to listeners. You're like, but I write fiction. It's like email your subscribers, have one of the emails be like, hey, what is your favorite thriller, (laughs) right? Because you need to know because if everyone keeps mentioning Jim Butcher, and you're like, who is Jim Butcher? I haven't read a single Jim Butcher book, but all your subscribers have read him. You should read a Jim Butcher book, <laughs> right? So that can be really helpful to educate you, but also can help create conversations. You're like, oh, yeah, I love that book. And you're having now an interaction. And this is really beneficial in several ways. One, if you've been emailing back and forth, they're going to remember you more and they're going to be more likely to open your emails. But you're also, if they've emailed you, I think, three times, you're guaranteed to never go to the promotions tab in Gmail because now you're in the main inbox (laughs) because it's a back and forth emails. So do you want people to email you back and exchange emails back and forth? One, it's a lot of fun and it's really good for marketing and it helps develop that relationship. I got to say, man, if there's something I would return to and do all over again, I would focus way more on starting those little conversations. The automation helps get things started. But if you do put in that time and effort, you will get raving fans. And it doesn't always have to feel like this transactional, like I responded to you, now we're buddy, buddy. So go tell other people about my book. It it just happens organically. It's just like I had people email me about, hey, when's your next book coming out? And I would respond as the villain in my book. And it just was a blast. And once you actually start these little relationships, all of a sudden you get your, not only your book launch team, but you just got fans who are following you because you interact. They're a part of the story. And it becomes an experience where your readers aren't just some nebulous Amazon purchase that you never see. It's like you actually see people on the other end being impacted either in an entertaining way, an educational way, an escape way. And it just becomes so much more fun that way. That's right. So what are some other email kind of types that we could put into that onboarding sequence? Let's say that you write in a genre that has a really handsome hero. And you could be like, who are the three handsomest heroes in fiction today? And evoke some responses. Or who did the most sacrificial thing in fiction that you have read today? One option, and I'll see authors who'll do this. They're sending out their newsletter and they'll have one newsletter that's just a smash hit. (laughs) They're like, man, my readers love this newsletter. Got all these emails back. There's nothing keeping you from taking that really good email that no one will remember in six months and putting it in your onboarding sequence as email four or five. And now that email's given a second life in a sense. I like that. It's almost like the comedian version of, hey, let's test out some material. And then suddenly you, you hit one and you're like, yeah, that's our winner right there. That's the money beats that you put out by the road that people are going to buy. 
it's a dialogue, right? At the very beginning, we're talking about it's like a, a dinner party where you're talking and listening. And a mistake that's easy to make with email newsletters is that just to talk and not listen or you won't shut up. And that gets really irritating pretty quickly. And those are the kinds of emails that people want to unsubscribe from or they don't read very carefully. But if it's a back and forth where they're a part of the conversation, they're going to listen to you more because they know they're going to have to say something <laughs> at some point. But you're also going to be saying more interesting things because of that dialogue element. One thing that every person, author needs to ask when they're set up these sequences is a marketing term called with them, what's in it for me? And if you can start there with your reader, what's in it for them? If you answer that question first, that puts you on a natural trajectory to start at a relational level where, hey, you're more important. I'm going to let you talk. Like Thomas just said, no one wants the person who's just going to one-way dialogue. So let's start with what's important to you. And eventually, yes, it will funnel back to what's important to you, who's who's writing this, which is going to be about your books or your character or why you write, but you're connecting it to this is why it's important to you. Or you're starting from this, oh, wow, this person's like been reading my mail because they know that I'm a big fan of so-and-so. Yeah. And speaking of what's in it for me, it, as you are writing for a long time, you're probably making multiple reader magnets, right? You're now giving away your third or fourth short story. Well, one of your drip emails on the onboarding sequence can be, hey, here are other short stories that are my gift for you. And that's an email people are going to want to keep, right? And they're going to find that really valuable. They're going to want to click those links because it's an email with a gift attached. And notice we haven't yet talked about an email really selling, right? At some point, you can put an email in the sequence that's like, hey, here are the books I've already written with links to buy them, right? That's that's okay. But I wouldn't make that email number one, right? Let the relationship grow a little bit. Let them know a little bit about who you are. You might mention your most recent book in the first email and get that out of the way. Because there are some people who are just like, hey, I'm here for that book. Give me a link. And you're talking about what I write or something. But I wouldn't dump if you've written 30 books. Don't mention all 30 books in the first email. In fact, since this is an onboarding sequence, you might consider if you have multiple books, one email per book. And, and so instead of listing, here's a bulleted list, you say, hey, here's this book. And here's why this book would be interesting to you, right? Give you a pitch, right? Two or three paragraphs, right? Use your back cover copy. And for somebody who's wanting to discover your writing, that's really helpful, especially if you're giving them some guidance on the order in which to read them. The Ender's Game books, I really enjoyed Ender's Game. And I wanted to read the sequence. And I had to go through this stupid time chart of like, what is the next book to read? Because Ender's Game has two different sequel series. And because of space travel and the time dilation of relativity, they take place at like different eras. And it's so confusing. And, and it was all fan made. I was like, the authors really dropped the ball here to just say, what book should I read next? <laughs> I can't tell you. How many times I have Googled the order in which to read books. And I'm never really satisfied with it. Like when I saw like the chart of like the Marvel movies, I was like, oh, game over. That's pretty cool. And what we're getting at here is what is helpful to the reader and just get them excited about stepping into the story and they know where they're at. 
Yeah, it's interesting because I'm reading the Chronicles of Narnia to my kids right now, and I'm doing it in what I consider the appropriate order, not this new fandangled chronological order. So we started with The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and we have not yet read The Magician's Nephew. This is original order, right? I, I have strong opinions about this, but what you were saying, Caleb, about serving the subscriber and asking what's in it for them, that's really the key. And as you are interacting with your subscribers, you'll start to get more and more ideas. So we're just trying to get the wheels turning in your head and you'll come up with your own really cool ideas that are weird in the way that your books are weird and your readers are weird in all the right ways, the right kind of weird for you. And that those will be your best emails. But as we're talking about onboarding sequences, we should probably talk about other kinds of drip sequences because that first introduction sequence isn't the only kind of sequence. So you're talking about a character in your books sharing a sequence of emails. That's probably not a good onboarding because if I don't know who that character is, I'm like, who is this weird, evil thriller villain talking to me? And I might think it's actually you, the author, and now I'm really creeped out and I'm, I'm out of here, right? <laughs> but if I already know who you are, if I've already read book one, I'm waiting for book two to come out and I get the evil plan emails from the villain. Now suddenly I'm anticipating when I get the next email. So what are some other sequences authors could put together? One sequence that came to mind was like book launch sequence or book launch team sequence. Simple as, hey, click here if you want to be the first to receive this and help get the word out about this epic tale that's about to go down. And now they get exclusive content to you, videos, updates, what have you. But most of it is automated gearing up for that launch. And pre-written and potentially reusable or at least adaptable. So when you're putting together your book launch for your next book, you're not starting from scratch. You're starting from the sequence of emails that you had the last time. So when I'm having someone go through a drip sequence, the goal for me of selling may be warming up the relationship and getting to a point where I am asking that person to respond back to me. So now I'm collecting a group of readers who are now engaging with me back and forth. And so another type of drip sequence you can create is go, what would I do if I were having active conversations with my readers and want to take it to another level where now I'm going to actually, the end of this sequence is going to be, I'm going to ask for a sale, or I'm going to ask for a get one, give one, or I'm going to ask for a photo of you holding the book up and posting it on social media. And what you're doing is you're now segmenting your lists. It, that does require some manual effort because you're creating a new list that you're putting people into. But that is another example of a type of drip sequence that is more segmented, more active, and is going to lead to more sales. You know, let's talk about the technicalities of that because it's actually, depending on which platform you're using, it doesn't have to be very hard. So with ConvertKit, which is my favorite, it's actually really easy. And you can create tags and you have multiple tags and different subscribers can have multiple tags attached to them. So classic is I write fiction and nonfiction. Some of my readers have the fiction tag. Some of the readers have the nonfiction tag based off what they're interested in. But you can create a what's called a link trigger where anyone who clicks a certain link in one of your emails gets attached to a tag or gets put into a sequence. So you could send an email out being like, hey, would you like to get the diary of the evil villain? 
And that's the email. And then there's a yes, please send me the diary link. They click that link and then ConvertKit automatically puts them in the tag, starts this sequence, right? Once you get it configured. And now they're getting that sequence and it's all automated. And you don't have to do anything on a per person basis. So it's really scalable. And you can also, maybe if you're doing both fiction and nonfiction, you ask people, it's like, hey, what are you interested in? Fiction, nonfiction, or both? You know, and you have links. Depending on which link they click, it determines what tag they have and it might determine what emails they get or don't get, right? A, please don't email me about your fiction. I just want your nonfiction, <laughs> right? Click here. And then you exclude everyone in that tag from all of your fiction emails moving forward. That's fantastic. I know as writers, some people are out there like, oh man, this is so cool. And others are going to be like groaning like, oh, the technicalities, this is killing me. But it really isn't that hard. Yes, you have to set aside some time for it, but they've made it very easy with the software. The biggest tip I would have if for technology is to get away from MailChimp. MailChimp is terrible for automations. It's confusing. I have yet to meet an author who has successfully used automations with MailChimp and still likes MailChimp at the end of going through that process. (laughs) That's so funny. I started with MailChimp back in like 2010. And since then, I have used ActiveCampaign, which tends to be a little bit more on the expensive side and I think has maybe too many bells and whistles at times. So I'm not sure if you've used ActiveCampaign, but that is what, what my team uses. Okay. Active campaigns really good if you're needing CRM functionality or deep shopping cart integration. So if you're running WooCommerce on your website and you've got a lot of different products and you want to trigger emails based off of somebody's checkout from your e-commerce website, Active Campaign has some nice features that are nice for that. But if the idea of setting up your own online store is overwhelming to you, then active campaign is likely going to be overwhelming to you as well. And it's going to be more expensive than you're wanting to pay. ConvertKit is similar to active campaign, except instead of being made for small businesses, it's designed specifically for authors, which is why it's both easy to use and powerful. MailerLite is popular with some authors, especially authors on a small budget, because they let you have the automations in their free plan. Whereas ConvertKit only lets you turn on automations with a paid plan, as does MailChimp. So if you're the kind of person who doesn't like to spend money on stuff and you want to get the free version, which I encourage you, be the customer. (laughs) Pay pay for what you use. Taking freebies can get you into trouble and can send you down some dark paths if you're not careful. That said, MillerLite's a perfectly good company. So of the free plans, theirs is the most powerful in terms of automations. I feel like there was an inner Ron Swanson right there. You you almost came out and spoke in his voice. Get a job. <laughs> Buy things with your own money. <laughs> oh, you become a dad and suddenly hear your own dad's voice out of your own mouth. So it, if you want to use a free version, it's a free country. You can use a free version. ConvertKit also has a free version. They're both now better than the MailChimp free version. Now, one onboarding sequence... One style of onboarding sequence we haven't talked about yet is an offboarding sequence. (laughs) So we talked about like introducing somebody to your list. And then we have talked about sequences around specific things, maybe themed around a book or around a launch. But something some authors do is they'll create a like a list cleaning sequence or an offboarding sequence. So I guess my first question is, what are your thoughts about offboarding sequences? Good idea, bad idea? I think it's great. I mean, 
literary agents today who, if you have a 15,000 person email sequence, you jump to the front of the line in terms of pitching your book. But the first thing they're going to look at is your engagement. Like they've wised up to the fact that it's not just numbers, it's engagement. And one of the best ways to increase your engagement is go, hey, this person hasn't opened an email in six months. So this is a good way to, to clean that list up. And I would rather focus on one person who's very engaged, paying attention, as opposed to a thousand people who I'm trying to look them in the eye and they're not even looking. They're not there. So yes, I'm a, definitely a firm believer in the offboarding sequence. I'm starting to change my view on offboarding sequences. So I Ooh, used to be. This is where, this is good radio now. Let's go. <laughs> I used to think as you do, and I still do for extreme situations. I now see offboarding sequences as like chemotherapy. Sometimes it's the only thing that you can do, but it's a really traumatic treatment. And in a sense, every email that you send is cleaning up your list a little bit, right? You're going to be getting bounces that will be auto unsubscribed and people will be clicking unsubscribe. And often for authors, the special ones who are really aggressive at offboarding, some people are, they're offboarding folks every three months. They're basically demanding a level of frenetic attention from their subscribers that it's like, unless you're a fanatic, you can't stay on my list. And if somebody only opens one email a year, and they're only on your list because they want to read your one book a year that you write, and they open up the one email about the book and they buy that book, they're not a really active email subscriber, but you want them on your list, <laughs> right? You don't want to offboard that person just because they read the last six months worth of headlines and they decided to pass. And what I've seen with some authors that have done this, and I've experienced this myself in some cases, where you purge thousands of people off your list and your open rate doesn't improve. And Sometimes you need it. So, for instance, if your list is really old, you've been gathering emails for 20 years, there's going to be some email addresses on your list that someone's Yahoo account that they haven't logged in in seven years. And yes, you purging the super inactive will get that person off. It'll save you some money and it'll improve your open rates. But there's a, a kind of poverty mindset I've noticed with some authors where they're just terrified to have anybody on their list who's not like foaming at the mouth. And I think that ends up hurting you in terms of your sales. Because sometimes you take somebody through an offboarding sequence and the, a reader will email you back and they're like, what do you want from me? <laughs> right? I check your emails. <laughs> I don't click every link. And I've experienced this where I send somebody offboarding like, hey, are you still wanting to be a subscriber? I'm about to unsubscribe you. And they're hurt. And they're like, why are you kicking me off the team? Or, or they're apologetic. Like, I'm so sorry. I didn't. My mom's been sick. or blah, blah. And then they give me this big, long story about why they haven't opened. It's like, that's not the right kind of relationship. <laughs> that's, that's, that's toxic or it can be toxic. And so I now am thinking about offboarding and list cleaning as a, a last case scenario. If you're sending regularly, especially if you're sending every week or every month, you're keeping your list relatively clean just because you're keeping it active. That's, that's hard to argue with. It was all good. I tend to do a once a year. So it is. Definitely on the slower side of offboarding. And I usually, again, what's in it for them? So make it about them. Be like, hey, like I want to make sure that I am providing you the best value, not clogging up your inbox. And if you want blank, 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 or blank, it gives you a way to reinforce what you bring, whether it's a gift card here and there, book launch announcements, and give them a list, they can click there. And so it makes it about what do you want? I've seen it in nonfiction 
book titles. But I am in agreement with you. I would not be sitting there the whole time like, hey, you didn't come to my birthday and you didn't wish <laughs> me my half birthday. And by the way, Valentine's Day passed. And you didn't click anything. So I mean, just <laughs> no one wants that. <laughs> That's right. And some people's email programs have images disabled or the track. They have really stringent privacy settings. And so they may have been opening up your emails, but they're not being marked as open in your software. And so another thing to keep in mind as you if you do create an offboarding sequence is you want to be really gentle, especially with those initial emails, because there's definitely going to be some false positives that get collected. And back when I was more active in list cleaning, I had a tag in convert kit called never purge or something. <laughs> People who are protected, right? Cause they email me, but they were in the offboarding sequence. They're like, no, please don't unsubscribe me. And I was like, okay, I'm going to put them in a special tag. You're now a special protected class. They can still unsubscribe themselves, but I will never unsubscribe them. But then I just stopped and my open rates are 50%. Like I'm getting good open rates on my emails and that's without any active list cleaning in a couple of years. I feel like you've come up with two solid titles since we've been talking. One is Never Purge, and the other one was like <laughs> Diary of an Evil Master or something like that. I'm like, man, these are books that need to be written. <laughs> diary uh, Diary of an Evil Villain. <laughs> I feel somebody's written that book. Somebody's written that book already. <laughs> so it, one of the things that is that this can be fun. I know that this is a, like a technical thing, and some people, they don't want to mess with this because it seems technical. And if you're not a technical person, just switch to ConvertKit. It's so much easier in ConvertKit. I know MailerLite's a little bit cheaper, but your time is valuable. <laughs> Honor your time and use the tool that's easier to use. That's where I'm at on, on that. But but if you are tech savvy, MailerLite is just as powerful as ConvertKit. It's just more steps to go through the process. Couldn't emphasize that enough. Value your time. Oh, <laughs> yeah. my goodness. I mean, nothing drains me faster than, you know, taxes or doing something that I'm not a expert at. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I know this is taking me 10 times longer, but I'm saving $3.99 a month or what have you, you know, value your time. So uh, Caleb, what are some mistakes that you see authors making with their onboarding sequences? I would say a common mistake would be asking for the sale too quick. Another common mistake would be creating content that becomes stagnant like almost like their eyes don't see it anymore. So for instance, one of the very first onboarding sequences I created for my first book called to stay, I would have like an image of by the book called to stay, like embedded in the email. So there's an image there. And I was like, you know, after you see this like three times, I don't think anyone sees it anymore. So it's more powerful to have an email mixed in of buy this book now because of relevant reason, relevant reason, happening today, reason, boom, instead of, hey, I'm going to give all this free content and I'm going to assume you're going to click this because it's been here the whole time. That's just not how our brains work. So those are a couple asking for the sale too quick or assuming the sale based on, hey, I'm going to give away all this free content and I've got this image here, this nice image that says buy the book and it's embedded. It's like either one of those can work against you. Well said. Treat your readers the way you want authors to treat you. You may get annoyed by the emails that you receive, so don't send emails like those emails. <laughs> send the kind of emails that you would be excited to receive. And this doesn't just apply to onboarding sequences or offboarding sequences. It also applies to the newsletter itself. 
right? It, especially if you write fiction, talk about your genre, right? Talk about what's happening, the books and movies and TV shows that are like the books that you're writing. Be, don't just talk about your own books all the time. Talk about what your readers are reading and, and you need to and spend enough time with your readers interacting where you know what they're reading. So you know what books they want to talk about, right? What are the questions that they care about? And if you talk about what they care about, then they're going to want to talk to you because you care about the same things. I love that. It feels like it came straight out of Proverbs. Doing this is bad and doing it will result in a bad outcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, Caleb, you have a website, getthestring.com. You have a newsletter there. Is there an onboarding sequence attached to that that people could see an example of an onboarding sequence done well? Oh, man. Now you're putting me on the spot. Yes, there is. But boy, it's been a while since I've even thought about it. (laughs) Which is, everyone on this, do not follow that advice. I have not been in the author side of creating onboarding sequences for quite some time, as I've been running my own business for the past 10 years. And so the onboarding sequences have been different, more business-related, but it's all the same thing. It's just I have not put my time and energy back into my book for quite some time. I think that's actually a good point is that this is one of the things you want to revisit. And it's really easy for it to be out of sight, out of mind. You set up the onboarding sequence and then you don't really go back and look at it. And it's really easy for your onboarding sequence to not talk about your latest book, right? You you came out with a new book and your onboarding sequence is still talking about your first book. And now you've written three books. And so you do have to go back from time to time and at least look it over, right? It may be like, this looks great. I stand by everything I said, no changes. And it's actually not hard in your email program to look through it. You can also subscribe to your own onboarding sequence every once in a while and get those emails. Another thing that I find really helpful is because many of my onboarding emails include a question for the reader, as people respond to those emails, it reminds me of the email. And so my original email is there and I'm like, ooh, oh, there's a typo (laughs) that I didn't notice. And so this is actually one really cool thing about an onboarding sequence. These emails end up being, over time, much better emails than the email you just put together real quick on a Thursday afternoon. Because you don't revisit your emails and keep making them better and better over time, whereas those onboarding emails, you do. Over time, they get really good if you keep revisiting them. So, Caleb, I'm going to send people to your onboarding sequence, and y'all can see what it looks like. Get the string Dot com. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. Do you have any final advice or encouragement? Man, just make it about people. I would change the way I do sequences today than I did in 2019 when my first fiction book came out. Then in 2013 when my first nonfiction book came out. Evolve. Take Thomas's advice of like, what would you want? Like, what emails have you actually stayed subscribed to and why? Be honest with yourself and do more of that. Like, I happen to like shorter emails that link to something that helps me break through the wall of the internet. Essentially, hey, it's a podcast. It's a video. It's, and also they've thought through to make it relevant somehow. And relevant Sometimes we think about it just it has to be happening right now, but relevant can be just something very universal that most humans are probably going through at some level. Do that because we want to send a clip to our spouse or we want to say yes or we want to learn more about it. So just learn, commit yourself to learning and commit yourself to doing what you yourself would do. Caleb Breaky, thank you so much for joining us today on the Novel Marketing Podcast. 
Thank you so much, Thomas. Appreciate it. Our featured patron today is Kamwela Kaneshiro, author of Legends from the Pacific, book one. Have you ever been curious about Asian and Pacific folklore? Like what the Brothers Grimm did with Germanic folklore, Kamwela Kaneshiro has spent years doing with the folk tales from around the Pacific. Join Hawaii's goddess of fire Pele in her search for sanctuary. Confront the Philippines' shape-shifting vampire. Battle the dreaded Wendigo and more. If you want to write epic fantasy but need some fresh folklore ideas to pull from, then grab your copy from Amazon or legendsfromthepacific.com now. I also should point out that Legends from the Pacific is also a podcast. You can listen to these stories, legendsfromthepacific.com. Thank you to Kamwela Kaneshro for being a patron, and thank you to all of the other patrons that help keep the Novel Marketing Podcast on the air. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. Our producer is Lori Christine. Our guest was Caleb Breeke. This episode's audio is edited by William Umstadt, and the blog post version is crafted by Shauna Lettler. To read the blog version, visit authormedia.com slash 367. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.